Welcome to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast, brought to you by DSW Ministries. Your host is singer, songwriter, speaker, and domestic violence advocate, Diana Winkler. She is passionate about helping survivors in the church heal from domestic violence and abuse and trauma. This podcast is not a substitute for professional counseling or qualified medical help. Now, here is Diana. Hello, everyone. Welcome, welcome back. It is a privilege to have you again today. I hope you enjoyed Andrea Sandifer's interview last week. She has some beautiful music. I hope that you will go and listen to her other music selections on her website and YouTube channel. So today we have a guest. Her name is Suzanne Burns, and we know each other from a Christian podcasting association. We know the same people, and we've talked a few times, and we finally got got her on the podcast with our crazy schedules. And she does some of the things that I do with this kind of industry in domestic violence, abuse, and trauma. You know, I like to connect with people that do similar things because I can't possibly help everybody myself. And I like multiple perspectives, multiple talents, different viewpoints, and perhaps something that she would say would resonate with you. That is always my goal is to help you to heal. I'm really excited to have her on the podcast today. Let me read to you her bio here. Suzanne Burns is the founder and executive director of Foundation House Ministries, a faith-based maternity home and training program for pregnant and parenting women in critical situations. She has a Master of Science in Marriage and Family Studies from Lee University in Cleveland, Tennessee. She's a certified family trauma professional and a member of the International Association of Trauma Professionals, the National Center for Crisis Management, and the American Academy of Experts in Traumatic Stress. Suzanne and her husband, Tim, reside in Cleveland, Tennessee with their younger son, Ethan. Their older son, Caden, is her own crisis pregnancy. He's a U.S. Marine and married to his best friend. And we're here to talk about her new book called The Trauma-Informed Church. So without further ado, will you please welcome Suzanne Burns to the show. Well, Suzanne, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Hey, Diana, I appreciate it. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, we've talked uh, a few times in the past and finally got together (laughs) to record this episode. I'm excited to hear what you have for our listeners today. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited too. So tell us a little about your background and what your ministry is. Yeah, so we're located in Tennessee. I I run a maternity home, which is a training program for mothers in crisis. So that could mean she's pregnant and homeless. It could mean she has come out of uh, jail or a rehab program and she's pregnant. It could also mean that she has come out of one of those types of programs and she has um, lost custody of children previously and is working on reunification. So we work with a wide variety of mothers in varying degrees of crisis. 
Mm, what an important ministry that is. So Thanks. do you have a lot of success stories of the, the ladies that come through your program there? We do. Um, we actually end up seeing about 95% of our moms, when they graduate, they are able to maintain it for at least a year after graduation. And so we're pretty proud of that number. Wow. And I was reading on your, your website that, that you train them to, to do a, a business. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have a job training program called Healing Springs Gifts. And so we make lotions and soap and candles and wax melts and all sorts of different other types of personal care products. And so the women are learning not only how to manufacture those products, but they're also learning um, basic retail things like customer service and inventory control. Um, ordering the raw goods and um, shipping, dealing with um, social media and uh, marketing. They get a little bit of basic accounting. It kind of depends on, um, on the girl, how much she will receive. Um, but we do the best we can to get a really comprehensive overview of, um, of all things small retail. And we also have a couple of uh, thrift shops downstairs right below our office. And so they work some in that too, getting that face-to-face -face customer service as well. Well, I'll tell you what, being a business owner is no joke. <laughs> they're valuable skills to have because yeah. that's uh, in this day and age, especially this past year, being a business owner can really make a difference between, you know, starving to death or, <laughs> yeah, you know, being out on the street and yeah. actually being able to support yourself. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Yeah. And that's what really what we want to birth in our moms is that entrepreneurial mindset because, um, you know, about 70% of them come in without a GED or high school diploma. A large percentage of them have, you know, no real marketable skills when they arrive at all. And so, um, you know, they're trying to figure out how to make enough money to feed a family to support mm -hmm. themselves and their children. So it's either, you know, make bad choices about the people that you bring into your child's life because they can help you pay the rent or do questionable things so that you can earn the rent. And, um, you know, neither one has to be the, the route they have to choose. They can choose um, a higher and better way. And so that's what we want to teach them, that we want to equip them for a long-term self-sustainability. Absolutely. Now you have experienced this firsthand. You yourself had a, cr a crisis pregnancy of your own. Yeah. Yeah. I was a junior in college and um, I, I had grown up in a Christian home and was at a, a Christian school. And, um, but I was 1800 miles away from mom and dad. Ooh. So, you know, I was um, experimenting. I was testing my wings and um, come to find out, I did not make very good decisions. <laughs> yeah, we all I've, make really bad choices. Yeah, yeah. I found myself in one of those places where I was like the frog in the frying pan. I just kind of woke up one day and, and I don't know how I got there, um, but I was um, smoking, I was drinking, I was experimenting with illegal drugs. And, um, you know, and then one day I wake up and I'm pregnant. And it's like, oh, now what? <laughs> yeah, and you're obviously pro-life at that point, Very much right? So, yeah. yeah. Very much so, yeah. 
Yeah. yeah, it was never a consideration for me to choose anything but to have my son. It was more a matter of like, how on earth am I going to do this? And um, I had some good family support. I had some job skills. Um, you know, I had some college, but it was still really difficult. Mm-hmm. And so over the years, I've just met so many women who, um, you know, who did not have the things that I had. And I, I had it fairly easy and my my struggles were still really really difficult to overcome so imagine how much worse it would be if she didn't have the things that even I had and so my heart's always been um been soft towards moms and single moms especially wow I love to say I I started having sex at an early age earlier than probably should have and I think that the only reason why I didn't get pregnant was by the grace of God. Now, I had some mentors that were older than me that told me to go and get some birth control. And I had gone to the library and I got books about the birds and the bees uh, (laughs) and birth control. And I think that was the only reason why I didn't get pregnant. Um, And I was a Christian at 13. I, I knew better. Yeah. But yeah, I was in that kind of what you would call the rebellious stage and I'm going to do what I want. And um, I look back and I think, well, what would have happened if, if I would have gotten pregnant? And I, I think we're around the same age, right? Did we? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So back then there weren't that many choices, a whole lot less choices than there are now. Exactly. And I can't exactly. imagine um, what would have happened if I'd gotten pregnant as a teenager, but um, somehow Lord had had mercy on me or something, I, um, but yeah, your ministry is is so very important um, for these girls. I bet they so appreciate it. No, um, not as much as you might think. <laughs> well, maybe maybe towards the end. <laughs> usually, usually towards the end. Yeah, they're always very grateful when they first come in. They're always in that honeymoon phase, and everything is yes, Miss Suzanne, and I, I, I love you, Miss Suzanne, and I'm so thankful, Miss Suzanne. And then you know things shift. Yeah, we start seeing the real girl, but um, but that's a good thing, really. That means that we're actually getting to see her for who she is, and she's getting more comfortable. And so as we start getting into the harder parts, and she starts showing her um, her not-so-pleasant side, that's when we know we're really getting to, to dig, down, dig down deep and do some good healing, restorative work with her. Um, And then if she's willing, if she'll stick with it, and if she'll stay with us long enough, she does reach that point where she's grateful and um, almost, almost without fail, they never want to leave. They want to stay forever. And so even though they want to grow up and move out they're they're like, um, they're kind of like high school kids, you know, Mm -hmm. they, they want to grow up and and move on, but they really don't want to leave home either. So, um, so that's really encouraging when you know that they love you so much, they want to stay and they kind of wish they could stay even while they're excited to to go forward yeah yeah i i can understand that you must have an incredible team there you don't do all the work yourself right (laughs) no no we're we're a very small staff um we're a staff of now four and a half Uh, we have one part-time and um it it's a lot of work but we have a lot of great volunteers that help and then that that permanent staff of just four people. Mm, awesome. 
And I was reading your book, The um, Accidental Social Worker, <laughs> this week. It's really good. I mean, you provide that as a free resource on your website. And I could definitely relate to many of the, the situations and the examples in the book. At one time, I was a secretary in a church, and I used to have people calling me or showing up at church asking for money, whether it was, you know, they were on drugs or they were... Um, really bad with money or they blew it on something else. But um, I really liked you pointed out the poverty mindset. People don't mm -hmm. don't usually talk about that. Can you yeah. elaborate on what that means? Yeah. So, um, so the poverty mindset is different than someone who is in material poverty. Although it could be this, that one person has both. The poverty mindset is more like a worldview of how you see the world around you. Um, you could actually be quite wealthy and see the world through a poverty mindset. You're, you're seeing um, everywhere you turn, you're seeing lack. You're seeing, um, you're seeing difficulty. You're seeing hardship. You never see positive things in a poverty mindset. And so I actually know um, my, my mother-in-law's boyfriend is, um, is one that I would consider that lives in a poverty mindset. Mm. He was raised very, very poor. He grew up in a children's home, uh, not in an orphanage, but in a, in a children's home. And um, now he owns quite a bit of land. He's, um, he's what you would consider very successful for our area. Um, he's, uh, the, we're more a rural agricultural type of area here in the South. And um, he owns hundreds of thousands of dollars of equipment and of land. And yet at the same time, they'll go to McDonald's and they'll split a happy meal. And, um, you know, and, and he, he thinks about the cost uh, constantly. You know, he's all, always concerned about spending too much. It, it doesn't occur to him that he has the capacity to do more because he's only ever viewed his life as lacking. Um, I have another friend who also is quite wealthy in, in land and in equipment, but, um, you know, but he drives a, a vehicle that's almost as old as I am. And it's, um, you know, it's fallen apart. It can barely go out onto the main road. And, um, and he won't buy a new one because he's afraid that if he spends twelve dollars or $15,000, he won't be able to replace it. While at the same time, he's frustrated because he has to send a check to the government for his, his taxes of over $100,000. So it's, it's this disconnect where they are unable to see the, um, the positives surrounding them. Um, now, someone who's in material poverty that also has a poverty mindset, this would be somebody that, um, you know, maybe comes into your, your church or your, um, your nonprofit program and you say, well, you know, well, have you thought about applying for this job? Or, oh, I saw the dollar store is hiring. Or, oh, what about this? And, and their response to everything you suggest is, oh, well, I can't. Or, oh, well, that won't work. There's always a reason why that won't work for them. That's a poverty mindset. Um, it's, it's fine for you, but it's not going to work for me. I can't be a success at it. 
I'm not going to be able to do that. It's a way of viewing the world where everything you see is, um, is doom and gloom, is sadness and is, um, is decay, no matter how much money you actually have in the bank. Um, you can be someone who is in material poverty, but has a, a growth mindset that sees, um, that sees opportunity everywhere. And we hear those stories, the kind of the rags to riches stories. We hear those mm -hmm. all the time. And that's someone who doesn't allow a poverty mindset to come in and to derail them. They, um, they take the bull by the horns. They figure it out. That's someone with a growth mindset. And, and, um, and that's what I've always wanted to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I knew uh, a dentist I used to work for. They used to drive around in a Mercedes Benz. And but they were definitely like, I guess I would call it cheapskate. You know, we had to sterilize the equipment after each patient and the, the sterilizer would break and they would jerry-rig the <laughs> sterilizer because they were yeah. too cheap to go and get the repairman to come in and fix yeah. the sterilizing machine. And it used to it used to really make me nervous because mm -hmm. it, it has to be hot enough to sterilize the instruments. Um, but I think when I was... I've been out of work multiple times in my life and I would probably get into that poverty mindset because I was depressed about losing my job or I can't yeah. find a job. I went, yeah. boy, I went two years and couldn't find a job at one point in my life. And is it more than just being, you know, the positive thinking? Is it more than that or? Well, you know, that's a piece of it and it can, it can have a, a, component of depression in it as well but it's more um it, it's more rooted in a, a broader perspective um when you look around you at all of the people that surround you your your neighbors your parents your siblings um, the people down the street what do they possess what do they have and and do they have lives that you want to emulate or do they have lives like yours? Um, this is kind of like, um, you know, you've heard the phrase, you know, don't get above your raisin. You're, um, you're acting like you're better than the rest of us kind of thing. Are the people around you pulling you down and not giving you permission to think big dreams, to have ideas, um, you know, um, I love the story of, of Ben Carson as he was growing up, his mom as a punishment, mm. his mom made him and his brother go down to the library and read uh, every day. And as a punishment? Yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, it, when, he, when they were earlier. And it, then it turned around into something that he loved. But yeah, it's, that's how it started. And um so then they had to come back and write a book report and turn it into her. Well, he didn't know it at the time, but she actually couldn't read herself. Mm -hmm. And so she's pushing them to do more and to go further. And, you know, she was a, she was a cleaning lady or she was a janitor of some kind. And, um, and she couldn't hardly read herself, but she's pushing her sons to do great things and not allow them to be, um, to be held back. And so that's, that's a mindset of, um, of someone who's pushing her children forward rather than trying to hold them down and hold them back. Um, and that's, that's a big difference in, um, in a growth mindset versus a poverty mindset. 
I love Ben Carson. He's an amazing person. I'll have to read yeah. more about him because that's a great story. Mm-hmm. Now, you have this new book that you uh, that's coming out. Did you say it was in April? Yeah, it's coming out in April. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm working. It's still under a working title. I, I, I'm leaning towards um, Fractured Pews, Broken Body, um, Becoming a Trauma-Informed Church would be the tagline. So it's the idea that um, as believers, we need to heal ourselves and then we need to, and then we can turn around and help the rest of the world recognize and heal their wounds. Oh, that is so needed. I think that's a great title. I think you should Thanks. keep that. I mean, what's the state of the of the church when it comes to abuse in the church? I mean, we've seen it in the news. There's, you know, the Me Too and the Church Too and and it seems like the churches are just dropping the ball when it comes to dealing yeah, with well, these. I think I think we're just scared. Um, so many people don't know how to deal with it. And it's just like dealing with mental health. You know, we just, we just want, um, if you just come to the altar, Jesus will just magically fix everything. And that's just never been how Jesus mm-hmm. operates. Um, Jesus expects us to heal. He expects us to deal with it. He gives us the power. He gives us the resources. He gives us the comfort, but he expects us to deal with the problems. And we tend to just sit around and wait on him to do it for us. Mm -hmm. And so people are, are being hurt by the church. They're being hurt by the church's response to their wounds and to their traumas. And in a lot of ways, the church is adding to their traumas by ignoring them or by letting things go unspoken. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's really, really hard, really difficult to get people to understand, especially when, um, you know, people who were raised in the church and really don't have a frame of reference for somebody coming out of active addiction or, you know, a single mom with uh, three kids with three different dads, it can be very, um, it can be very easy to put them into some kind of pigeonhole that says, well, you're just not good enough. You're not smart enough. If you'd only done things differently and um, you know, and understanding their background, understanding the trauma that they've experienced, understanding the lifestyle they've lived can be very uh, beneficial in helping the, the church members to embrace her or embrace this person, this family, and help them move towards that sanctification process Mm -hmm. of becoming more closely identified by the life of Jesus. Mm. Awesome. So what are like the chapters in your book? What kind of subjects are we going to read about in in your book? Well, one of my favorite things to talk about is the physical aspects of um of long-standing trauma so for example um so when when your body is in your sympathetic nervous system dominance when your body is in your um survival mode your hot system this is like this emergency system that is supposed to be shut off then and then you kind of go back to what we would consider normal where you can go back to rest you can go back to calm But for many people in trauma, they don't get the luxury of going back to that calm place often enough. And so your body does not develop correctly in survival mode. It develops in stunted ways when survival mode is turned on for too long. 
when, when you're in growth mode, when your parasympathetic nervous system is dominant, that's when you're calm and you're cool, when you can think rationally, mm -hmm. that's when your body heals and that's when your body develops its systems. So if, um, if you say are abused from a toddler onward, it's very likely that your digestive system didn't get the opportunity to develop correctly. Mm -hmm. And so um, we see that a lot with our girls when they come into our program, you know, they've been living on the streets for a while. They come in here and they start getting nutritious food. They start getting, um, you know, fruits and vegetables, salads, and their systems don't know how to process it because their digestive systems didn't have the opportunity to fully develop correctly. Wow because of the trauma that they experienced as children. Um, our girls are more likely to get migraines, to have autoimmune disorders, heart disease, and some forms of cancer are more common with people who have a higher history of, um, of past trauma. So all of these obstacles play into someone who also lives in material poverty. So when we're working with, with a church, uh, say a food bank, then um, the people that we're coming, that are going to be coming, that we'll be working with are more likely to have autoimmune disorders. They're more likely to heal more slowly from uh, surgeries, get over illnesses more slowly. They're more likely to have um, more severe forms of cancer and heart disease. And so a Understanding that means that you begin to make some expectations on the type of people that will be coming in, and then you can begin to serve them better. So if you know this is the type of people that you're going to be serving, you can plan ahead for diabetic-friendly meals. You can plan ahead for you know something that's on the ground floor that doesn't require them to go up and down stairs. Um, or you can plan for volunteers who can carry things, boxes and bags, either to a car or to a nearby apartment. You can plan things differently because you better understand the people that are going to be coming through your doors. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you've heard of the, uh, the book called The Body Keeps Score. Yes, one of my favorites, yes. Yeah, that is exactly what you're talking about, mm -hmm. that people don't seem to discuss very often the yeah. effects that the body has in response to trauma. It's not just, yeah. uh, well, that's a bad kid. It's, yeah. <laughs> there's a reason yeah. why the kid acts the way he does. <laughs> exactly. There's always a reason. And that's, that's the thing. Um, if you can understand the reason, then it's a lot easier for you to not be frustrated when you're picking up the, um, the bus kids for vacation Bible school or mm -hmm. for a Sunday morning, and you hear one of them talking about, you know, their effing weekend, one, one person would automatically say, oh, well, I'm never picking that kid up again. I can't have that kind of language in my church. Another person would recognize that that's simply the language that they know. And mm -hmm. um, while it's not what we want in our church, if we kick this kid off of the church bus, when is he ever going to learn about Jesus? Right. Is it is is the um, the sensitive ears of the rest of my children worth his eternal soul? Mm. And when we stop and think about it from that perspective, suddenly it does not matter what I have to listen to 
if he has the opportunity to hear about Jesus. Because once he does, then the Holy Spirit will take over and he will teach this young man a new way of speaking and a new way of thinking. And that to me is worth far, far more than, um, than my peace of mind. Yes, I'm definitely familiar with the bus ministry. I did bus ministry in several churches and those kids are so precious and yeah. you know we would go and pick them up and their their parents were just happy that they had a babysitter for the day and got rid of yeah. them and kids that didn't have a proper coat i mean <laughs> it was usually back east you know didn't have a proper coat or shoes and didn't have breakfast and it was like okay we're bringing uh something for them to eat in them you know in the morning because they have empty bellies and uh and then the church would have us do our our children's church in another building. We weren't allowed to march through the main auditorium because they're noisy. And like you say, they they cuss and they don't know how to act in church. So we had a separate building for, for them to uh, be in there. But a lot of them, those kids did grow up to, to know Jesus and actually yeah. go into full-time service and, yeah. you know, start a bus route of their own. So it was really a great ministry. Yeah, and that's what it's all about. Those kids will be in the kingdom for eternity um, because we were willing to put up with their their chaos, their their silliness, their inappropriateness. Mm-hmm. When you know Jesus never cared about any of that. Mm. No, let the little children come and come to me, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And what other things are we going to read about in this? in this new book of yours here? The other main thing that I want to address in the book is the understanding that there, that it's your responsibility as a believer to model Christ, but it's also your responsibility as a believer to, um, to, to do no harm, right? That's the, the Hippocratic oath that doctors take, first do no harm. <laughs> right. I think it should be the first rule of churches as well. Um, if, if what you're about to say is going to bring somebody further away from Jesus, then you better not say it. Mm. If, um, if your attitude towards somebody is going to push them away, especially if it makes you feel more comfortable you, you need to address that because we're pushing people towards the gates of hell because it's easier for us. It's more convenient for us. It keeps our, um, our churches all the same color. It keeps our, um, our congregations nice and peaceful and calm. And it doesn't force me out of my pew or out of my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And we are pushing an entire generation towards, um, towards eternal, eternal death. Yes. How, how is that worth it? How is that worth it? Mm-hmm. And we, we need to be woken up because we have a great and mighty responsibility to care for the least of these. And, and not just the children, but the homeless men on the street, the, the vets coming home from war who are homeless because they cannot hold down a job and they can't, they can't handle the, um, the PTSD. And so they use drugs to mask it. Mm-hmm. The, the women who would rather prostitute themselves than, um, than give up the drugs. We have a responsibility to them because we have the power 
to, to teach and to love. And it's all about first do no harm. Wow. If only the churches would just do that one thing because the yeah. churches have done so much damage. I mean, how many times have we heard stories about, you know, some kid with the tattoos and the earrings and, you know, the long hair that comes and sits on the back row of the church and, yeah. and, you know, they're kind of looked down upon because they don't look like this certain, the church expects them to look like. Exactly. Well, he never comes back because he wasn't yeah. welcomed. He wasn't discipled. He wasn't yeah. loved for who he was. Yeah. And so, yeah, we're not taking responsibility for our, our kids, um, for yeah. the lost even. Exactly. And we have even church kids who are, um, you know, a little different. Maybe, you know, you might call them weird. You might call them <laughs> different. Yeah, I mean, that's what the other kids are calling them. And they're cutting and they're committing suicide. And they're the deacon's kids. Mm -hmm. They're, um, you know, they're the youth pastor's kids. And we're responsible for that. We, the, the church body, we are responsible for what happens to our body. And our body is the whole collective of the bride of Christ, not just my little congregation, not just my four and no more. Mm -hmm. We are all supposed to be part of the bride of Christ. Mm -hmm. I just had my pastor on the podcast a couple episodes ago and and I asked him the hard questions and, and I love my church. Good. I think it's a healthy church and we've looked far and wide for a healthy church. And I asked him the, the tough questions about you know, what kind of what kind of church should we be looking for? What are the red flags and um how should a church deal with abuse? And our church is investing in a new building for the children's ministry so we're trying to raise funds for that because we want we want the the younger generation to have a a good place to come from the world now i will admit we have a predominantly white church because of the neighborhood that the church is in it's a middle class white neighborhood a lot of retirees and um but we real, you know, we recognize that, and we're trying to get more, invite more people of of color, and reach out to the community um, to bring people in the church and welcome them. And I was really glad when I asked the pastor about, you know, especially about abuse. You know, what would happen if somebody in your church was abused by a staff member or a volunteer or even another member of the church? And you know, he very sternly said, we will prosecute this individual to the fullest extent of the law. We will not hide the yeah. abuse and we will step behind and support the victim, you know, instead of covering it up. Yeah. We're not going to pretend it doesn't exist and we're not going to coddle the abuser. And so I was so happy and encouraged to hear that. And I already knew that because yeah. I've been at the church for, I think, seven years now. But it's the first church that ever, that I have ever heard anybody deal with abuse. It's the first mm -hmm. church I've ever heard the pastor preach about his own sin. Yeah. He'll come out and say what he's struggling with. I've never heard that from the pulpit. And I, I told him that. I said, you know, I stayed at this church because you keep it real. You are transparent. Yeah. You know, we have activities and 
um, Bible studies for uh, LGBT. We have for unwed mothers. We have ministries for uh, those with depression and mental illness. Um, we have uh, Native American ministries that we support. Um, so we're trying to reach out to the community. We've got a, a little ways to go, but <laughs> at least the effort's there, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a start. It's a good place to start. Awesome. Now you also do coaching and mentoring, right? Mm-hmm. You must be a busy right. girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's really the the basis for these books is to um, is to help other churches and nonprofits understand how trauma is affecting the people that they serve so that you can serve more effectively. So I do offer, um, I have some video series that you can purchase and I also offer one-on-one coaching as well as um, uh, group trainings. You know, I can do like volunteer trainings and things like that, um, church trainings to help people understand not only what types of people are you going to be seeing, but how do you handle it? And, and how, how do people look differently when they have a higher um, history of trauma in their past? Mm. So would you give advice to people that maybe they, they know of an unwed mother and they don't know how to help her? Or do you offer anything like that for, for girls? Maybe, maybe not in Tennessee. Yeah, definitely. Um, first and foremost, I would always encourage you to just love her, you know, encourage her that, um, that it is possible. It doesn't matter why this baby exists. It only matters that it does. And all life is a gift from God. And so um, the fact that that one sperm and that one egg created this life means that it has value and it has purpose. And God tells us in the scriptures that it, each life also has, um, has purpose as far as he's concerned. So being able to first and foremost encourage her that, you know, yeah, it's going to be hard. It, don't, don't be surprised about that. But it is doable. It is possible. People will come around you and will support you and will love you and help you through the difficult times. I think if we as a, as a um, nation of believers could just do that, abortion would be unthinkable simply because it would no longer be necessary. We wouldn't have to legislate it away. Mm, People would simply stop going Mm -hmm. and they would, they would shut their doors on their own. Um, I would love to see that. I would love to see neighbors coming around her and instead of whispering things about her behind her back, offering to cook dinner, offering to babysit um, so she can work, giving her a, a ride, helping her afford that that car or helping her with, um, you know, with, with repairs around the house or around the apartment, things that, you know, single moms face a lot of obstacles that Mm -hmm. married moms don't because they have a a husband to rely on. And so just, you know, just telling her that, yes, you do need to get the oil changed regularly, or you'll have far worse problems. Um, you know, things like that are so crucial. There's ways that you can get involved in these young women's lives that will be meaningful, um, not only to her, but also then to that next generation. You can pour into those children in powerful ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So kicking them out of the house is really not helping anything. 
No, no, it's not. Make make somebody who's angry at their kid or the situation, um, but it doesn't help the baby. It doesn't help her to want to keep the baby. And you were totally right in that assessment of, well, okay, yeah, I'm pro-life, but a lot of times they don't they don't want to keep the baby because they know that there's no resources to help them and they're going to yeah. face being ostracized. Yeah. yeah. They're going to be ridiculed and the church is going to kick them out. Yeah. And their parents are going to kick them out and so they feel they have no choice but to abort that child. And that's yeah. that's a tragedy. Yeah. And yeah, the kid made a mistake. Like I said, it was by the grace of God. I didn't go down that same, have that same result. But, um, yeah. you know, if we have some compassion and mercy, like the Lord's had compassion and mercy on us, yeah. that we would, um, we would have a better world out there. Amen. <laughs> yeah, we would. Amen. That's it. Exactly. We would. And I think so often these churches are afraid that, you know, if one pregnant girl comes into the youth group, then all the girls are going to end up pregnant. Uh, that's just ridiculous. Yeah. That's ridiculous. That's fear and that's foolishness. Mm-hmm. And so you're, you're putting that girl and her baby at risk, not just in the physical, but in the spiritual. I mean, we're, we're the only path to Jesus. And Jesus is the only path to heaven and to eternal life. What are we doing standing in the way? That's right. Amen. Well, this has been a really wonderful conversation and informational and inspirational. Uh, Tell the folks how they can connect with you if they want your resources and your books. Yeah, visit me at traumainformedchurch.com and you can download my free ebook, The Accidental Social Worker. And you can also email me if you want to, uh, want to talk further at Suzanne at traumainformedchurch.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast and let me know uh, when that book is out so yeah. I can get it. <laughs> <laughs> I will. I appreciate it, Diana. Thank you for having me. I so appreciate Suzanne's story and her knowledge and experience and willingness to help these girls get through a really tough time in her in their life. I'm sure that you have a, a gal that would benefit from these podcasts. I'm sure that you know somebody that could benefit from these podcasts. I work really hard to bring you the best that I can possibly find. Guests that will will bless you and help you to heal, help you through these traumatic periods in your life. So if you could please share these episodes, I would really appreciate it. It doesn't do me any good to go out in the highways and byways and and find these good folks to come in here and share their their passion and their ministry if nobody knows about it. So share on your social media. Tell another person about this podcast. If you prefer video, go on the YouTube channel that I have. All of them are on YouTube. My podcast is on pretty much all the main platforms that you know of subscribe to the podcast, and be a blessing to somebody else today. And as always, 
we're going to end with our tagline here. You are no longer a victim when you choose to take action. So we'll see you next week, folks. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast. If this episode has been helpful to you, please hit the subscribe button and tell a friend. You can connect with us at dswministries.org, where you'll find our blog along with our Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel links. Hope to see you next week.